Okay, with that, we are going to turn to our sermon time. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Our fall preaching series is called Blessed Beyond Measure. Two weeks ago, Pastor John uh, shared our latest message from the first half of Ephesians chapter 3. He did a, a wonderful job, and so I'm going to uh, pick up from there. I'm going to be focusing on a phrase in this passage in which God says that he wants us to be filled with the fullness of God. And uh, how many want to be filled with the fullness of God? We don't want to be an eighth full. We don't want to be a quarter full. We want to be completely full. And there's a promise that that's given to us from Scripture. And as I start out this morning, I want to ask a couple teaser questions. Uh, and they'll relate to the message here. But the first question is this. Does God love you as much as he loves Jesus? Does God love you as much as he loves Jesus? It's a pretty big question to think about. Can God actually love you and me as much as he loves Jesus? The answer is yes. God does love us as much as he loves Jesus. And it's given to us in John 17, 26. I don't have this scripture uh, on the slides, but I'm just mentioning it verbally. In John 17, 26, Jesus is talking to the Father, and he's praying to the Father, and he says that I will continue to make you, Father, known to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them. I'm praying, God, the same love that you have for me will be in them. That's an amazing thought, that God loves us as much as he loves Jesus. A second related teaser question. In Colossians 1.19, Paul writes there that it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus. So a lot of times people say, well, what is God like? We don't know what he's like. Give us a picture. Give us a human example. Well, Jesus came to display the exact representation of the Father. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. And Colossians underscores that and says that the fullness of the Father was in Jesus. And so if we want to know what God is like, we just read the story of Jesus, and that's the picture of the Father. So here's the second teaser question. Does God want to fill you up with the same fullness that Jesus had? The answer is, again, yes. Because as we're going to see in the text today, God says in 3.19, Ephesians 3.19, he desires that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. The implications of these answers are just amazing. It just represents how big God's heart is for you and me. Um, but let me pray first, and then we're going to go into our passage today from Ephesians 3. Father, we thank you for the bigness of your heart. We thank you for the bigness of your love. And I pray, God, that not only would this revelation begin to come upon us as a church stronger and stronger and in more real ways, but that you would allow that love to flood out through us to those that are around us because you want to touch this city. You want to touch the people that are around us. But it has to be inside of us first so that they can see it in the same way that we were able to see it in you. So bless the word now as we commit it to you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So the title of my message this morning is Five Aspects to Being Filled with the Fullness of God. And this is based on the scripture here in chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, which I'm going to read. Paul says, I pray 
that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, this passage is classic Paul, where he packs in truth like a densely filled chocolate chip cookie, forcing us to slow down and enjoy every delicious bite. And when we do that, we find that Paul is giving us five things that are key to being filled with the fullness of God, which, as I mentioned, came from verse 19. Now, the Greek here for the word fullness, if you look in that verse, that word fullness, the Greek Word, Greek meaning here for the word fullness is the idea of a ship being fully manned with sailors and rowers and soldiers, or a ship that is filled with freight and merchandise. It's the idea that a ship is laden with an abundance of goods or outfitted with all the equipment that's needed for a successful journey. And this is the value of word studies and, and going into the original Greek is that it opens up and it gives us this word picture that helps us to envision the richness of what Paul is saying here, enriches us in terms of what the scripture is saying here. And I love this picture. It's powerful. It's fun. It's the idea that God wants to load us up and make us ready to go. That's the kind of life that God has for us. And I want to connect this idea of fullness to the same fullness that Jesus had. So we can read this passage and say, okay, it's great. God wants to fill us up as his children, you know, till we're filled to the top. But this word is the exact same word that is used regarding the fullness that Jesus had in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. So I've called out these two verses and I've highlighted the word fullness there because in the Greek, it's the exact same word. The same fullness that Jesus had, that's the same fullness that God wants to fill us with. And to me, that's a crazy thought, but that's where we're headed today, breaking down how this can be realized in our lives. So let's talk about these five aspects. The first, and I've highlighted it right in the text for you so you can see where I'm preaching from, we must be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. We must be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. Verse 16. Fullness does not come from our own strength. We can't fill ourselves up. That filling has to come from the Holy Spirit, which Jesus taught is like a river flowing from our innermost being. Again, I love this picture of just a rushing river coming from within, that it's not a dry riverbed, but there's that energy and there's that momentum of a river and water and the, and the cleansing and the purity of it. And God says when the Holy Spirit is in our lives, when he comes into our heart, there is that kind of dyna dynamic life that God has for us. The Christian life requires the person of the Holy Spirit. The great doctrine of the Bible is not duality, it's a trinity. It's not just Father, Son. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one and one in three. And we cannot forget the person of the Holy Spirit. We can't just operate out of our minds and our wills, which we are prone to do. We just rely on ourselves, our own thinking, 
our own choices, our own desires, but we don't depend innately on the Holy Spirit. But Paul is saying we need to operate out of his presence, his power, and his mind. We must be daily filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5, verse 18, and to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. These are essentials. These are not optionals. We don't just read through the Bible and say, okay, well, that's kind of nice. I don't really have to do that, but boy, that's an extra benefit if I want it. No, these are essentials. Sometimes we wonder, why, why is my faith not working for me? Why is it not alive? It's because you're missing out on some of the nutrition and the essentials that you need, part of which Paul is calling out for us, calling out for us in this verse. We need the person of the Holy Spirit. And note in this phrase that the power of God that God wants us to have resides in our inner man, on the inside. Now, physical strength and having muscles and a six-pack and looking cut and ripped, that's great. But inner strength is more important. In the days that we're facing, we need perseverance and we need fortitude and ongoing vision which comes from our inner man. God doesn't want us to be a Popeye on the outside. He wants us to be a Popeye on the inside. And this comes from having close fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you a little secret that when we walk with God, there's a, a distinction in how the three relate to us. The Father relates to us in a certain way. Jesus relates to us in a certain way. And the Holy Spirit relates to us in a certain way. And the more you grow in God, you'll be able to sense the different movements of the Trinity working in your life. And that's important. And the Holy Spirit has to be a dynamic part of that. Second thing that we see here to being filled with the fullness of God is that we must have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. We must have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. The purpose of the Holy Spirit's power in our inner man is so that Christ will dwell and cause us to be Christ-centered versus self-centered living. You know, as sheep, it's easy for us to get lost. It's easy for us to get astray. And we need the shepherd to take his staff and bring us back into the sheep pen, to bring us off the roads in which we've gotten lost. And the Holy Spirit is the great shepherd on the inside. He's the one that calls us back and allows us to be Christ-centered. And right now, there's a crisis of faith. People are leaving the faith. They're abandoning God, chasing after wrong teachings, embracing heresy, giving up on the church, and going cold on God. Jesus prophesied to us in Matthew 24 that this would be one of the signs of the times, that people's hearts would grow cold and they would give up on the faith. It's happening before our very eyes. There is so much of culture that is trying to woo us away. There's so much of culture that is trying to tempt us. There is so much messaging in culture that is anti-God. And if we don't think through clearly, and if we don't comb out the weeds in our life, we're going to give in to it. We're going to become part of the soil and grow up like weeds instead of grow up like a harvest or like wheat. And so it's so important that Christ is dwelling in our hearts. You know, you think it's easy to have faith in Jesus today. It's not. It's hostile out there. We just got done with an election. Did you notice that not a single politician mentioned their faith when they campaigned this month? Not a single one. It's political suicide to talk about believing in Jesus because it's so politically incorrect. How did we come to this place? 
where if a politician talks about his faith or talks about Jesus, that somehow that's it. Off the ballot, we're not going to vote for that dude because he's some crazy. Since when did talking about morals and faith and character and looking to God for wisdom become so offensive? That's the temperature of our culture right now. And if we become part of the environment and we conform to that, then Christ leaves the center of our hearts. And which is a point that's being made here in the verse. Note where faith is to abide in our hearts. The heart is that which beats and circulates the blood. It's the seed of a person. Our faith is to be warm and enriching and authentic. When we talk about Jesus, people should feel that it's real and vibrant, not stilted or dry or boring. There needs to be a little fire. There needs to be a little passion. This morning as we were worshiping, it was like, Holy Spirit is so near to me. He's like, let's be burned down by the Holy Spirit. This aspect of the heart is crucial. The Pharisees and Sadducees, the leaders of the day, they understood truth, but their hearts were far from God. Do you understand there can be a dichotomy? You can have it all up here, but completely miss it here. Faith that does not touch the heart is dead faith. It's dead. It's just an intellectual exercise. But God wants the flame to burn strong in our hearts. Little passion, little zeal, that's biblical. It's all good. Third aspect here of being filled is that we must be rooted and established in love. Verse 17. If our roots are not planted in God's love, then when the storms of life come, we will get ripped right out of the ground. We question God's goodness. We wonder where he is. God, I've prayed. How come you're not answering me? We wonder if he's for us. We can get bitter or angry at God. We put conditions on God. Lord, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. As if you're doing God a favor. As if you can dictate the terms to God. To be rooted and grounded in God's love is to have a total conviction about his sovereignty and goodness, that he is working all things together for the good, whether we get it or not. If God is God and we are human, how is it that we would judge the ways of God in his mind? Isn't by, defini by definition God's mind and God's way going to be beyond ours? And so when there's a disconnect and there's a difference between our understanding, it's an invitation to trust in him. But that's when our sinful nature says, oh, no, I don't get it, so I won't trust. But the real evidence of relationship with the Father is that we as children trust in our Father because he's a good Father. And even though we don't get it, we still put our dependence upon him. God is working all things together for the good. And if you start losing that, your heart grows cold in so many different ways. For example, the elections in the United States. I'm a dual citizen. I get to vote in Canada, and I also get to vote in the U.S. I've had many conversations with my friends in the U.S. And the elections in the U.S. is stealing a lot of love among even my friends. There's so much arguing and division and vitriol going on. It's literally tearing friendships apart. I know people that have been friends for 20 years, and because of this election, they're like, 
We're not talking to each other anymore. You think that? Oh, you think that? We can't even talk. It's that bad. People think that the world will fall apart if Trump gets elected, especially if you're a Democrat. Or people think that the world will fall apart if Biden gets elected, if you're a Republican. And as a result of that, the love is growing cold. People are despairing over who might get elected. I literally had a friend that got depressed for one entire month over the election cycle. Medically depressed. Their hope was set on the right political leader getting in. But they have fallen for a head fake. Our love should not grow cold because of the elections. God is still God. He is in control. And we need to continue enjoying God's love for us and spreading that love to everyone else. We should be shining during this time, not participating in the spirit that divides. Amen? Fourth thing here, given to us in verse 18, is that we need to grasp or comprehend how wide and long and high and deep the love of God is. You know how I know when someone has comprehended the love of God? They gasp. Only when their jaw drops and their mind is blown do I realize that they've begun to perceive the infinite bigness of his love for us. Paul is saying to us that the dimensions of God's love is beyond measurement. The width of it, the breadth of it, the length of it, the height of it. We cannot measure it. We cannot comprehend it. And ironically, comprehension comes when we don't have words for it. That means you've seen it and you've touched it and you've experienced it. Comprehension comes when we are tongue-tied. We've shared this verse consistently over the years from Ephesians 1.17. Pray, pray, pray that the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Our eyes need to be opened to the grand love of God. And when that happens, it's like standing on the shores of the Pacific Ocean and seeing its vastness or gazing upon the Swiss Alps and being stunned by its grandeur or standing in the redwood forest and basking in its majesty. This stuff literally transforms your life and gives you an inner vision and joy that acts like a fountain constantly bubbling up in your life. I am so thankful that I am saved. I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit is in me. I am so thankful that I can experience and feel the love of God every single day. Now, when I wake up in the morning, my moods are different. Some days I don't feel so great. Some days I may feel crabby. Some days I may feel joyful. My moods are constantly shifting. But the point is we go back to the reference point. The reference point is the Bible. The reference point gives testimony and witness to who God is. And we cause our soul to be aligned, our thoughts and our emotions to be aligned. This is a good day in God. Because he's omnipotent, because he's good, because he's kind, and he is for you. And the love of God is always moving on our behalf. And not only on our behalf, God wants us to be filled with it to the fullness. Hence this point that God wants us to grasp, to touch the infinite of his, infiniteness of his love. Fifth point here, God wants us to know this love that surpasses knowledge. God's love surpasses the rush and might 
of knowledge. Any thrill that you can get from knowing something deeply is infinitely exceeded by the knowledge of God's love. I don't care if you're the smartest person in the world, have multiple letters after your name, or you have a a brain that's like an encyclopedia. God's love is better. It's dope, as the next generation likes to say. Yeah, I'm with it. Paul had the greatest mind in his generation. He knew the intoxicating power of knowledge. Goodness gracious, the man wrote half of the Bible. Do you think he was knowledgeable? Do you think he had a little bit of revelation? Do you think he had a little bit of insight? Absolutely. He knew the intoxicating power of knowledge. He was the rabbi of rabbis and theologians of theologians until he met Jesus. If anyone had the credentials to say the love of God surpasses knowledge, it was Paul. And it's funny how our minds can be an obstacle and a stumbling block to the love of God. We get so puffed up with what we know. We get so puffed up with our knowledge that we become arrogant. We have this stink on us and nothing can come in to our field because, oh, we know it all. And yet Jesus said, you have to be converted to be like a child if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's like Calvin or Luther or Edwards proclaiming the love of God above their minds. These were giants of the faith that understood nothing surpasses love, not even knowledge. So in this passage, we see these five aspects. But to complete this passage, I want to touch on the bookends of this section, the front of it and the back of it. Verse 14, and then at the end, verses 20 and 21. I'm going to highlight these verses in a moment. Why does God want us to be filled with the fullness of his love? Super simple. Because he's a father, and a father always wants what's best for his children, right? And this is where Paul goes nuts. The Jews throughout history have been guided, protected, and watched over by Father God. Literally, the people of Israel in the land of Israel today is an ongoing genetic connection back thousands of years to when God conceived the Jewish people through Abraham. We literally have physical evidence of that lineage. They are a special people called by God, preserved by God through the Holocaust, through persecution, through untold pressure and stress, and yet God has kept them. He's been their father. The Jews were the chosen ones, the privileged ones, the special ones. Why? God gave them the Ten Commandments. God gave them the law, the Torah, the covenants, the sacrifices, the temple, the tabernacle, the feast, the prophets. Is there any other nation that can make claim to that? The Ten Commandments is the moral foundation of civilization. Whether people recognize it or not, the Ten Commandments is the moral foundation of the nations. And the Jewish people were the ones that received it. They had the privilege of representing God in the earth. No one's had special status like the Jews. They were God's covenant people until now. As in when Jesus died on the cross, and now all nations and races can be part of God's people and God's covenant. 
Jesus died on the cross to unite us all. There's no more separation between Jews and Gentiles. You know, we like to create categories in our minds when we think about people, right? The haves and the have-nots, the rich, the poor, the blonde, the brunette, the redhead, the keener, the jock. We, we have these categories in our minds. But in God's organizational screen, scheme, there's only two kinds of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. And for thousands of years, God's focus and favor was only on this little tiny tribe of the Jews. But when Jesus went to the cross, that whole thing blew up. Now God's favor and blessing emanates out to all the nations and races of the earth. God is not just the father of the Jews. <coughs> He's father to everyone. Pardon me if that poke your hearing. He's a father to everyone through the gospel if you believe in Jesus Christ. As a result, God wants to pour his fullness into all believers and not only the Jews. And this is the message that Paul gave his life to. Paul went through tribulations. He went through shipwrecks. He was beaten, lashed 39 times, beaten to a pulp, almost died, without food, persecuted. Now, why would a man go through something like that? He believed in this message that God gave him so deeply, he was willing to sacrifice his life. And what was this message? Literally, it's summed up in one verse. Verse 6, chapter 3. I'm sorry I didn't put this on, this on the slide for you. The Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul is saying, we're not on the outside anymore. The Gentiles are on the inside. And he was appointed by God to shout this from the rooftops. Every one of you, you're included. You're all invited. The good news is going global. It was the revelation of this global gospel that the dividing wall was abolished between the Jew and the Gentile that dropped Paul to his knees. This truth was so profound and consequential, it caused him to buckle to the floor in worship and adoration and prayer. And this is what we read in verse 14. For this reason, what was that reason? That God has broken down the dividing wall and all men who call upon the Lord can be saved. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I'm on my knees, Ephesian saints. This is where I am as I write to you. The Father heart of God was about to radiate, radiate out to the nations from Jerusalem. Let the outpouring and the pouring out of God's fullness be poured into each believer. Then we go to the end of this passage. Verses 20 and 21. In case you're struggling with the idea that you can personally experience the same fullness of God that Jesus experienced. Just take a thought, just take a moment and ask, do you actually believe that? In case you're struggling with that idea, fret not, dear one, God has got your back. And he will override the littleness of your faith. Verse 20 and 21, Paul says, now to him, who was able to do far more abundantly above, beyond what we can ask or think. Oh God, yeah, just fill me some. 
No, God can do far above all that we even ask or think. This is what God is spending his power on. Did you catch this? Usually when we appeal to God's power, it's for a miracle. Oh God, my aunt has cancer, or my mom and dad have cancer, or a relationship is blown up and it needs healing, or I'm in a financial crisis. God, I need a miracle. Those are the things that we call out to God's power for. But in this prayer, Paul is telling us God spends his might on bringing us into his fullness and love. The same power that heals cancer, the same power that causes the lame man to walk, the same power that causes the blind to see, that power is spent on you so that you can experience the fullness of God. This is how important it is. God's omnipotence is on our side, and it doesn't get any better than that. So let me finish with this thought. God's love is our secret manna. It fills us, feeds us, nourishes us in the desert, and makes us like palm trees in a dry and thirsty land. Given the pandemic season that we're in, this teaching on being filled to the fullness of God is timely. We can feel dry, depleted, and disconnected but realize that God is ready to pour into you until your ship is loaded up and all the equipment that you need is on board. So this week, I encourage you to go back and pray through each aspect of coming into his fullness, which I've summarized here in this slide. We must be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. Take time to meditate on these phrases. They're, they're kind of intricate, big phrases, but slow your mind down and meditate on them. We must have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. We must be rooted and established in love. We need to comprehend or grasp how wide and long and high and deep his love is. And we must know that this love surpasses knowledge. Father, we thank you that Paul experienced something so wonderful, he wanted this for every Christian on planet Earth. Generation past and generation future, he wanted every single Christian to experience what he experienced. And he experienced the fullness of your love, and it blew his mind away. It filled his heart to where it was overflowing, and nothing could conquer him because that love was inside of him. Jesus, more than ever, we, your church, need this love. We need this overflowing. We feel defeated. We feel weak. We feel like we can't lift our heads up. But you are the glory and the lifter of our head. And Holy Spirit, I pray that your presence would break the yoke over our lives or the chains that are dragging us down. By your power, God, would you come and touch your people we commit ourselves to you, and we open up our hearts, God, in faith and say, yes, fill us to the same fullness that you filled Jesus with. Now, this morning, you've been searching for God, and you've been wondering if God loves you and God cares for you. I can tell you, friend, straight from the Bible, he loves you with an everlasting love, and he's ready to be your father. Would you commit your life to him? Would you just simply pray to God in your own words and surrender your whole life to him?
All you have to say is, I surrender to you. And the Father receives you into his family. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We bless you now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you this week. Stay safe. Stay warm. And uh, keep thinking and praying on how God wants to fill you. See you next Sunday.